So we're in the very last session of our Next Step Leadership series. Four weeks ago, if you'll remember, I started the sermon right there in the back by the soundboard. And I stood back there and I said that leadership doesn't start in the boardroom. It doesn't start in the spotlight. It doesn't start on the stage. It doesn't start in the governor's office. It doesn't start in the Oval Office. Great leadership begins when ordinary people begin to get a glimpse of their extraordinary purpose. Great leadership begins when ordinary folks like you and me get a vision for our life that is bigger than anything that we could have imagined, and we invite others to participate in that vision. We begin to build that vision, and we invite others to join us in building that vision. That's what leadership is. That's what great leadership is. And today, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, this, is, this sermon is specifically focused on you. Because what we learn in the scripture is that becoming a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, requires that we take a step of leadership in our life. Being a Christian means that we join with Jesus in building the vision of the world that he had in mind for us and that we invite others to participate in that vision as well. In fact, I want you to, 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 to do a little uh, exercise with me. I want you to imagine for just a moment, and you're not going to have to imagine hard, but imagine for a moment that this theater is packed with your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues and your peers and your fellow students and your kids and your parents. It's packed with people from all over St. Louis, from all different walks of life, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Native American. It's packed with people with PhDs and people with GEDs. It's packed with, you know, Gen baby boomers, Gen Xers, Gen Yers, millennials, little fat babies. Like it's just packed with people that have all come together, laid down their differences to pursue a relationship with God. From all over the city, imagine a world where justice overcomes injustice, where compassion and equality overcomes bigotry and racism, where love conquers fear. Imagine that world. That is the vision of the world that Christ has for you and for me. And he's calling us to not only live in that world, but to build that world and to invite others to participate in that world. That's what the gospel is. It's not just that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's that's most of it. But the end part of that is that Jesus rose again and then invited us to build a world that was greater than any kind of world that we could have ever imagined. It was a world where everyone pursued God. It was a world where everyone followed Jesus. And he's calling us to be that vanguard, that leader in that movement that he started, that he created. In fact, I want to just read you a scripture. This is the very end of Jesus' life. And he gets his disciples together, standing on a mountain. And here's what he says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Hold on to that for a minute. He doesn't just say, go and be disciples. He doesn't say, just just go and, and then do what I told you to do. He says, go and do what I told you to do. 
But then go make disciples. Go lead others to me. Bring others into this world that I'm creating. Bring others into this vision that I have for the world. Go and make disciples, he said. Teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And then he said, and surely I will be with you always. I'm going to be there with you. You're not doing this on your own. I'm not sending you out to do something that you can't do. I'm inviting you to become a leader. I'm inviting you to become someone who leads and influences other people and brings them into a life that's greater than any life that they could have ever imagined for themselves. I'm inviting you to build a world and invite others into it. And notice who he's talking to. He's talking to the 11 remaining apostles, right? None of them are rabbis. None of them are priests. None of them are governors. None of them are kings. These are, at least four of them are fishermen. One of them is a tax collector. The others were very likely blue-collar tradesmen. I mean, these are regular folks. And he's saying, I want you to be a leader. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to be the leaders in this movement that I have started. I've trained you. I've built you. And now I'm, I'm sending you out into the world to make this a reality, to build this division of this world. What does this tell us about Jesus' understanding of leadership? What does it tell us about what he thinks about leadership? Number one, it means this. Leadership, at least in Jesus' definition, is not positional authority. It's not positional authority. He's not saying, look, if you are a rabbi, then go and teach people about me. If you're a priest, then go and teach. He's saying, you, fisherman, go. You, school clerk, go. Or, or, Or teacher, go. You, janitor, go. You, doctor, go. You, lawyer, go. You, student, go. Make disciples. Build this world. Invite people to be a part of it. Become a leader. Not positional authority. And the other thing that it's not in Jesus' definition is it's not external power. It's not external power. Jesus' followers did not have external power. They didn't have worldly power, if you will. The, the Judea and Jerusalem were governed by thousands of Roman soldiers. They had artillery. They had cavalry. They had all kinds of, of, of they had shields. They had swords. They, his disciples did not have the power, the external power. And yet they are the ones that transformed the world, right? Because leadership is not about uh, authority, positional authority. And it's not about external power. So what is it in Jesus' definition? What is it? In Jesus' definition, leadership is personal influence inspired by powerful vision. Personal influence inspired by powerful vision. What I love about this definition is that this gives each and every one of us, this tells each and every one of us that we have right here, right now, what it takes to become a leader in God's kingdom. Because each and every single one of us has the ability to influence somebody else. Each and every one of us has the ability to lead someone else, to influence their behavior, to make them, or to, to invite them to do, not to make them, to invite them to do something that, that they, might even not, they might not even know they want to do at this point. My two-year-old came down uh, stairs the other day, and I was in the kitchen, and my wife was taking care of the baby upstairs, and my two-year-old, who doesn't, he, he can't, really can't even speak, he has a few words, but he doesn't have many, he went into the freezer opened the freezer, got out a box of strawberry popsicles, brought those strawberry popsicles over to me, handed me the box, and then just started jumping and clapping like this. Just started jumping. 
Now, he didn't even know how to ask, but he knew how to influence. He said, I see a world where I'm eating a strawberry popsicle. And it is a beautiful world, and I want to invite you into my world, Dad. And his excitement and his eagerness about it was so great, there was nothing I could do. I had to break open the box, peel open the little styrofoam thing, cellophane, cellophane thing, and get that popsicle. Well, I learned later that I shouldn't have entered his kingdom because he dripped that popsicle all over the floor, all over the house, and somebody from another kingdom came downstairs a little later. She said, I want to invite you to a kingdom that includes a wash rag and some spray. So, (laughs) leadership is just influence. It's just your ability to draw someone into something that is, if you're a Christian, is better for them, is greater for them. It's a world that redeems them and heals them and forgives them. It's a world that changes their life and transforms them. If you're a Christian, you're called to be a leader. Leadership is this. It's always about helping people move from here to there. Wherever here is, whatever here is, it's really just moving someone from here to there. It's moving someone who says, I'm a total cynic, to to saying, huh, let me think about that. Let me think about this. Let me consider that. Maybe I'll be a seeker, right? It's about moving somebody who's sort of seeking and going, I don't know, it's, you know, to saying, all right, let me explore the scripture a little bit. Let me try to understand who Jesus is a little bit. It's about moving somebody who says, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I was baptized, you know, and stuff. So that was 28 years ago. And I'm, you know, it's about moving that person to saying, hey, how about developing a personal relationship with God? How about opening up your life to the scripture and opening up your life to prayer and getting involved with the people of God and growing and learning and developing in a real spiritual way and having a real uh, um, a relationship with God, Right? It's about taking someone who's been a Christian, died in the wool Christian for 50 years and saying, hey, how about teaching? How about leading? How about taking someone on the next step? That's what it is. It's about moving. In fact, our purpose statement as a church is this. We are here to help people take the next step on their spiritual journey. That's it. We used to have a very complicated vision statement, purpose statement. No one could remember it. I couldn't remember it. So we changed it. And we said, look, we just need to clarify what it is. We are simply helping people take the next step. That's what Jesus called us to do. He said, follow me and then make followers of me. Make disciples. Help people take the next step from wherever they are. Help them move forward. So the question that we're going to explore for the next few minutes is how do you do that? How do we do that as a church family? How do we help people take the next step on their spiritual journey? Not just, not the pastor, not just the elders and the trustees and the team leaders, all of us. We are collectively the body of Christ, and we are called to help people take the next step. How do we do that? So last summer, I wanted to take my boys to uh, a wrestling camp. So I researched some different wrestling camps. I actually talked to Lee about, Lee Furness about different wrestling camps. I found a, a wrestling camp um, in a little French settlement west of here called Creve Corps. Have any of you ever heard of it? It's like that way. Um, and before, before, before I took them out to this camp, I researched it, and there's a, uh, the leader of this camp, this wrestling camp, is a guy named Charlie Sheritz. And Mr. Sheritz is not just like your average run-of-the-mill wrestling coach. He's one of the most respected wrestling coaches in the state of Missouri. 
when he was a young wrestler, he was offered full rides to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Nebraska, LSU, SIUE. Everybody, everywhere wanted to offer this young wrestler a full ride scholarship to come and wrestle for their program. He ended up going and working with the famous wrestler that like only three people in this auditorium will know, Dan Gable. Anyone? 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 Okay, okay, okay. Three people. Um, Dan Gable, one of the world's greatest, greatest wrestlers. And th- this, is, this is like Greco-Roman wrestling. This is not like jumping off the ropes, WWE, okay? Let's just get, let's get, our, let's get our minds right. So he, he goes out there. He wrestled with Dan Gable. Then he transferred to Mizzou. Um, then he came back to Missouri, um, and he uh, started coaching. And so in my mind, I'm like... I had, my boys were four and five at this point, and I thought, how is this Dan Gable-trained, world-renowned, national champion coach going to be able to train my four and five-year-olds? How is that going to happen? I mean, he's way up here in terms of his skill, and my boys are just, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're doing somersaults on the mat. So I get to the camp. The first thing I notice is that he's not there, Okay. So I look around, where's Charlie Sheritz? He's not here. It's his camp, but he's not here. Okay. Then I look around, and he's got about five protégés, college wrestlers. And you could tell they were wrestlers. They were all muscled up. Their ears were all cauliflowered. And you could just tell these guys were serious, <laughs> serious wrestlers. So then one of the wrestlers, it was, a, a, it was actually a female collegiate wrestler champion. She was in charge of, of overseeing the young guys. So she took a group of boys that were, my son was the youngest, he was four, and then up to about eight or nine years old. And he takes this group, and, or she takes this group, and she takes them over to this mat, and she tells all the four and five-year-olds to sit down, sit along the edge of the mat. And she takes the eight and nine-year-olds, and she starts drilling this move with them. And she just drills this move over and over, the same move, drills this move over. And I thought, okay, this is weird. My boys are getting no training here, right? This isn't even helpful to them. But they're sitting there watching and observing. And then suddenly, when she's done drilling, 10, 15 minutes later, she turns to the eight and nine-year-olds and she goes, okay, now go teach the four and five-year-olds what I just taught you. And then the four and, and the eight and nine-year-olds go and they start teaching the four and five-year-olds. And now the four and five-year-olds are getting it. Well, here's the, here's the, here's the premise. Charlie Sheritz was training my boys. But he wasn't training them his, himself. He was training them through his protégés who were teaching their students who were teaching their students. Charlie Sheritz captured the, the leadership model that Jesus stated on a mountaintop 2,000 years ago. Jesus said, I am going to give you power and authority to make disciples. Go make disciples. The only reason that we are here today as followers of Jesus is because people obeyed that commandment. They obeyed that commission, whether they were truck drivers or whether they were you know, religious scholars. They went and obeyed that commission, and now it's our turn. And Jesus is saying to every single one of us, every single one of us who calls ourselves a follower of Jesus, who calls ourselves a Christian, he's saying, now you go. You go take the lead. You go make disciples. You go bring people into the vision of, of the world that I have for it. So how do we do that as a church? If you've been in our uh, in our, in our 101 class recently, then you've heard some of this material. Um, but I wanted to just share it with the whole church. 
Um, I feel like I've shared it several times, but I've only shared it with our, with our 101 class. So I just want to share it with the whole church this morning because what we have, what we have developed at U-City Family Church are four sort of key steps that correspond with the four main ministries of our church that we believe will help empower you to fulfill your calling to lead other people to Christ, okay? And here they are. So these are practical steps. The very first one is simple. Know God. Know God. If you want to know how 12 politically powerless, totally obscure, or 11 uh, apostles transformed the world, it's, it's because they spent three and a half years getting to know Jesus. They spent time learning from him, talking to him, asking him questions, eating with him, spending time with him to, to the point where they could speak like him. They could do the things that he did. They got to know God. They intimately came to know God. Our goal, our purpose is to get everyone who comes into this building on a Sunday morning to open up their heart and begin to know God and begin to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. This is how Jesus described it. He said, this is eternal life in John 17. This is eternal life, he said, that they may know you. Eternal life is that you know God. That blows my mind. Eternal life is that you know God, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is saying, I want you to know me and I want you to introduce other people to me. Bring them in. Let them experience what I have for them. Let them experience my love. Let them experience my mercy. Let them experience my grace. On a Sunday morning at U-City Family Church, everything that we do is directed to one purpose. And that purpose is to create an environment, create an atmosphere where people can come to know God. That's what our music team is designed to do. That's what my preaching is, is directed at doing. That's what our, all of our teams here that are, that are serving in different roles. We're all here on Sunday morning for the purpose of helping people know God. To open up their heart. To, to, to pray. To hear the scripture. Right? To experience God's love. Here's the three things we want them to do. These aren't in your notes, but you can write these down. Number one, experience the life-giving message of Jesus. Every Sunday... Every Sunday, I give the message that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so that you can have a relationship with the Father. I, give that, I say that every single Sunday, right? Because that is life. That is life. That's when we come to know God. When we experience God through Jesus Christ, we get to experience the life-giving message of Jesus. Number two is entrust their life to Christ. We want people to make that commitment, not just to come and hear, but to, but to actually take the step. I've told you before, some, some friends of mine came, and they were coming for a while, and they weren't believers, and finally they came to me, and they said, Brent, we get the idea that you actually want us to believe the stuff that you're saying. And I'm like, yeah, I really do. I mean, that's why I'm saying it, so that you'll believe it. So we want people to ultimately make that commitment and say, I want to entrust my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow him. I might not have everything figured out. I might not understand everything, but I want to entrust my life to him. I count on him. And the third thing that we want to do, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, is to enjoy God's grace and goodness on a Sunday morning right here in New City Family Church. That's why we celebrate. When we sing, oh, happy day, if you're a follower of Jesus, yes, it's a happy day. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what struggles you're experiencing. It doesn't matter where you're hurting and what's happened in your life. There's a joy that's embedded deep down in the soul of every follower of Jesus because we know this isn't it. This isn't it. There's more. God has more for us, and he's with us. And yes, there's joy in that. We had 
Last Sunday, we had 10 new people become members of U City Family Church. 10. 10. They came here. They, you know, many of them had visited for a long time. And ultimately, they said, okay, I want to I go. I want to take that next step. I want to grow in my, in my life with Jesus. I want to grow in that vision of the world that he has for me. So that's what we do on Sunday mornings. So the application is simple. Come to church. Bring your friends. Bring your family. Bring your colleagues. Bring your peers. I guarantee you, I will not embarrass you. We will not do, we will not embarrass you. You know, I mean, we may embarrass you a little bit if, you know, if I tell a really corny joke. But, but other than that, you know, bring, bring them here. Because this is where they can experience the life-transforming power of Jesus in their life. So that's number one. Know God. Number two. Discover your purpose. We talked about this last week, and you guys, I don't, I don't think we have ever gotten as many prayer requests, ever, as we did last Sunday. I think that was a record of prayer requests for us. And the overwhelming majority of the prayer requests that we received from last Sunday were this. God, help me discover my purpose. Help me to understand why I am here. Help me to understand what you have for me. So many of you filled that out on your prayer request and said, God, I want to understand, why am I here? What? Because embedded deep in your soul, you know you are not a cosmic accident. You know you are not just here by accident. You are here because God put you here. He placed you here. He wants you here. He has stuff for you to do. In fact, here's, here's what the scripture says on this Ephesians. It says, we are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He does have a purpose for you. If you're struggling to discover your purpose, I want to give you some, some options today, okay? So write this down. Number one, pray for God's wisdom. Pray for God's wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, pray. And he'll give it liberally. He'll give it freely. So begin with prayer. Open up a personal prayer life with God, saying, God, I need you to direct me. I can't direct myself. I can't. You're the designer. You're the, you're the manufacturer. Show me where you want me to go. I didn't create myself. I wasn't here when you fashioned the stars in the sky. I wasn't here when you built the sea. I wasn't here, you know, when you laid out the blueprint of, of the universe. So you did it, God. So show me where you want me. The scripture says that you've prepared works in advance for me to do. Direct me down those, those works. Direct me down that path. The second thing that I want to invite you to do, if you haven't done this, is come to our growth track. Dive in somewhere in the growth track, 201, 301, 401. This explicit purpose of growth track is to help you discover your purpose. That's the purpose of it, to help you discover your purpose. So if you haven't done that, I want to invite you. Get involved and, and dive into that. And the third thing, we had such an overwhelming response, is that I want to invite you to mark your calendars for Sunday, July 31st. It's the fifth Sunday in July. And we're going to have a special, I don't know if you call it a workshop, we're going to have a special set-aside afternoon workshop to help you walk through the process of discerning and exploring and discovering God's purpose for you. On Sunday, July 31st, after church, we'll have it up in the family center and we'll give you more details. But I'm telling you that the, the, I just kept reading prayer requests, prayer requests, prayer requests, and we said, man, we've got, to, we've got to do something. Our staff, we were talking about it and praying about it. We said, let's do this. Let's, ha let's have a special session uh, at the end of July. So I'm going to invite you to that. If you really want a life of purpose and you really want a life of meaning, you've got to dive into what God has for you. You cannot generate the meaning yourself. 
You cannot generate purpose yourself. It does not just come out of you. It comes out of the one who made you. It's his purpose for you. You got to dive into him. Number three, share the journey. Share the journey. This is the, this is the third step in taking the leadership uh, and helping people take their next step. Um, let me ask you this. How many of you guys are in life groups? How many of you are in life groups? A bunch, a bunch. All right, here's what I'm going to do, something I've never done before, right? I'm going to be careful, too, because I don't want to fall. I want to have a couple of you that are in life groups tell us about your experience in life group. Raise your hand again. (laughs) I should have picked somebody out first. Oh, now nobody's in life groups. Nobody's in life groups. Imagine. Man. All right, come on. Come on, right here. Who's that over there? Okay, come on, Angela. George, come on up here, man. Come on, join your wife. Come on, George. <laughs> you should see the look that George just gave me just now. Hello, everyone. My name's Angela. Um, our life group was about the fervent prayer book. And it was probably the best experience ever. I made real friendships. And I don't know how to describe it. It was like, we're all different, different backgrounds, but there was something about a group of women coming together to learn the word together, pray for each other, and love each other. And it was awesome. It was really, really, really awesome. I was a little skeptical. But I was jealous of my husband was in a life group before, and he loved it. And I was like, there must be something to it. And it was awesome. It was really, really great. Fantastic. George, you were were in a life group too. Um, Joe, come on, man. Tell us about your experience with life group. Come on, Joe. Come on, Joe. Man, the guys are shy. What's up with that? Preach, brother. (laughs) Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Joe. Uh, like Brent was saying, I was in a men's life group with George, so I'll speak for us. <laughs> but uh, we would meet every Saturday morning. It was a group of us, maybe about 10 of us. And like, uh, like Angie was saying at first, it's kind of like all shapes and sizes. We even had young men that would come to the group. So the, the biggest thing about this life group was, I mean, there, were, there weren't any boundaries inside, but it was just said, what's, what's stated here stays between us. And I think that that opened everybody up very, I mean, every, we spoke about any and everything from family decisions, from, I guess, school, just random life situations, but everybody was able to open up, get closer, and uh, I miss you guys. I wish I could see you soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah. All the rest of you guys are chickens. Okay. But the, the, point, is, the point is this. Life groups are transformative. Sharing the journey is transformative. Now, if you were in a life group before and, and you, you know, maybe it wasn't a great life group experience, in the fall, I want, you to experience, I want you to try it again. Because I can tell you this, I started a life group one time and it was a miserable experience. It was the worst life group in the church. It was, the, it was, a, it was a life group dedicated to Bible stories and bonfires. That's what it was called. And I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to take off. It'll be epic. Hundreds of men will come to bonfires and Bible stories. Nobody came to bonfires and Bible stories because there was sleet, there was hail, there was snow, there was freezing rain, there was smoke in your eyes. It was the worst life group ever. I think a couple people came once. All right, a couple of you guys are like, yeah, actually I did 
come once. Um, but so we, we chucked it. We abandoned it. But, but, the, but the idea is we still, we come together, we find a way, we find an opportunity to get together with two or three people and share the journey. If you want to grow in leadership, share the journey with someone. Invite them in. Invite them to your house. Start a life group. Just get involved with other people. We cannot do it all here on Sunday morning. This happens in people's homes. In fact, in the scripture, in Acts 2, it says this. It says, they broke bread. This, these are the earliest followers of Jesus. This is right after Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit fell. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together, together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Basically, they said, look, we're, we're coming together on the weekends. We're worshiping together. We're praising together in a corporate setting. But then we're getting together in each other's homes. We're praying together. We're sharing the gospel. We're breaking bread. We're having fun. We're laughing. We're enjoying. We're, you know, we're sharing our lives with each other. It will change your life. Share the journey. And then the final step is this. Last one. Number four, make a difference. Make a difference. Build that world that we imagined at the beginning of this sermon. Begin to build that world through your service, through your dedication, through your giving, through loving people, through serving in the community, through reaching out to other people. This is what, this is what uh, Peter said, First Peter 4. It says, each of you should use Whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. At U City Family Church, we believe that every member is a minister. Every single person who says, this is my church home, you suddenly go from a person just hanging out, watching, sitting on the bench, hanging out, to a person that's teaching someone else and reaching out to someone else and helping someone else grow. That's what it is. You come to church to get equipped and empowered to serve and lead others. So every member is a minister. Every task is important. Every single thing that we do is important, whether you're setting up a microphone or greeting or, or, or whatever it is, in the prayer team, wherever it is, every task is important. In fact, somebody in our 101 class last week, I didn't get permission to use her name, so I won't use her name, but she said that... The first time she came to church, she came by herself, and no fewer than seven people greeted her from the time she walked up to the, to the church doors to the time she sat down. Seven different people shook her hand or gave her a hug or said hello, and by the time she sat down, they had figured out that she was a first-time visitor. They started connecting with people. She felt loved. She felt welcomed. Last Sunday, she became a member along with her husband and her son, and they are plugged into the church and serving and, and loving God and growing in their faith, right? And, it's, and she attributed it and credited a part of it to those people standing out there at the doorways, in the, in the hallways, and saying, hi, how are you? Welcome. I, I don't know you. What's your name? You know, showing the love of Christ. Every task is important. Every member plays a vital role. We don't have to have a dissertation on theology to do this, you guys. We just have to have a willingness to step out in courage and say, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get off the bench. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the thing that I can do. I'm not going to try to do something that I can't do, but I will do the thing that I can do. I'll reach out beyond myself. I want to close with a sort of general um, reflection about this whole series. Um, so you can come and, and play keys uh, for me, Barry. 
Um, and the admission is this, or the reflection is this. Leader, this, this series, this Next Step Leadership series, this has been more for me. Prayer team's going to go pray with the kids. Love you guys. Um, the, the, uh, this series, this leadership series, um, let's give the prayer team a hand, can we? They're going to go pray with our children right now. Um, this leadership series has been as much, if not more, for me than it has been for you. Because I have felt for, since we started this church, I have felt like God has, is calling me personally to grow in my leadership ability. He wants to develop me in my leadership ability. He wants to grow me in my strengths. He wants to grow me in my courage. He wants to grow me in the vision that he has for me and for this church. And so God has been working on my heart and, and, and charging me to do things that I'm uncomfortable doing as a leader, asking things of people that I'm not comfortable asking, taking a step further than I'm comfortable taking. And I believe that God is doing this in my heart because he wants to do that in your heart. He wants to do it in the heart of every leader here. He wants to do it in the heart of every member here. He wants to do it in the heart of every single person who's just attending and checking it out. God wants each and every single one of us to move forward, to move from here to there, to take the next step in our own spiritual journey, and then to invite somebody in to come along with us, to bring a, a mother or a, or a son or a daughter or a sister or a friend or a colleague, somebody bring them along in the, in, in the spiritual journey that you are on. Help them to walk with you. Become a leader. Follow Jesus' great commission. Because I tell you this, there is absolutely no greater joy in life than doing the thing that God has called you to do in a way that serves somebody else and helps to empower them to become the man or the woman that God's called them to be. There's no greater joy in life. There's no greater fulfillment in life. And so I want to invite each and every one of you to do that. And so I just end this series the way that we began. That, we began. that leadership doesn't start on the stage. And it doesn't start in the spotlight. And it doesn't start in the boardroom. And it doesn't start in the Oval Office. It starts when ordinary people like you and me get in touch with our extraordinary purpose. It begins when ordinary folks begin to see a vision of their life that's greater than they could have ever imagined. And they begin to build towards that vision. And they begin to invite other people to walk that path with them. Great leadership starts with you. So I want to invite each and every one of you today to take the next step in your leadership, whatever that might be, and let's do this together. Let's transform this world into the vision that Christ has for us. Let's pray.